0: Volume 4, Chapter 14. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Mysteries of Adolfo by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 4, Chapter 14. Call up him that left half told the story of Cambuscum bold. Milton. On the following morning, as Emily sat in the parlour adjoining the library, Reflecting on the scene of the preceding night, Annette rushed wildly into the room, and, without speaking, sunk breathless into a chair. It was some time before she could answer the anxious inquiries of Emily as to the occasion of her emotion, but at length she exclaimed, "'I have seen his ghost, madam! I have seen his ghost!' "'What do you mean?' said Emily, with extreme impatience. "'It came in from the hall, madam,' continued Annette, "'as I was crossing to the parlor who are you speaking of repeated emily who came in from the hall it was dressed just as i've seen him often and often added annette ah who could have thought emily's patience was now exhausted and she was reprimanding her for such idle fancies when a servant entered the room and informed her that a stranger without begged leave to speak with her It immediately occurred to Emily that this stranger was Valancourt, and she told the servant to inform him that she was engaged, and could not see any person. The servant, having delivered his message, returned with one from the stranger, urging the first request, and saying that he had something of consequence to communicate, while Annette, who had hitherto sat silent and amazed, now started up, and crying, "'It is Ludovico! It is Ludovico!' ran out of the room. Emily bade the servant follow her and, if it really was Ludovico, to show him into the parlour. In a few minutes Ludovico appeared, accompanied by Annette, who, as joy rendered her forgetful of all rules of decorum towards her mistress, would not suffer any person to be heard for some time but herself. Emily expressed surprise and satisfaction on seeing Ludovico in safety and the first emotions increased when he delivered letters from Count de Villefort and the Lady Blanche, informing her of their late adventure and of their present situation at an inn among the Pyrenees, where they had been detained by the illness of Monsignor saint and the indisposition of Blanche, who added that the Baron saint was just arrived to attend his son to his chateau, where he would remain till the perfect recovery of his wounds, and then return to Languedoc but that her father and herself proposed to be at la vallée on the following day she added that emily's presence would be expected at the approaching nuptials and begged she would be prepared to proceed in a few days to chateau le blanc for an account of ludovico's adventure she referred her to himself and emily though much interested concerning the means by which he had disappeared from the North apartments had the forbearance to suspend the gratification of her curiosity, till he had taken some refreshment and had conversed with Annette, whose joy on seeing him in safety could not have been more extravagant had he arisen from the grave. Meanwhile Emily perused again the letters of her friends, whose expressions of esteem and kindness were very necessary consolations to her heart, awakened as it was by the late interview to emotions of keener sorrow and regret. The invitation to Chateau-le-Blanc was pressed with so much kindness by the Count and his daughter, who strengthened it by a message from the Countess, and the occasion of it was so important to her friend, that Emily could not refuse to accept it, nor, though she wished to remain in the quiet shades of her native home, could she avoid perceiving the impropriety of remaining there alone, since Valancourt was again in the neighborhood. Sometimes, too, she thought, that change of scenery and the society of her friends might contribute more than retirement, to restore her to tranquillity. When Ludovico again appeared, she desired him to give a detail of his adventure in the north apartments, and to tell by what means he became a companion of the banditti, with whom the Count had found him. He immediately obeyed, while Annette, who had not yet had leisure to ask him many questions on the subject, prepared to listen with a countenance of extreme curiosity, venturing to remind her lady of her incredulity concerning spirits in the castle of Odolfo, and of her own sagacity in believing in them, while Emily, blushing at the consciousness of her late credulity, observed that if Ludovico's adventure could justify Annette's superstition, he had probably not been here to relate it. Ludovico smiled at Annette, and bowed to Emily, and then began as follows. You may remember, madam, that on the night when I sat up in the north chamber, my lord the Count and Monsieur Henri accompanied me thither, and that, While they remained there, nothing happened to excite any alarm. When they were gone, I made a fire in the bedroom, and, not being inclined to sleep, I sat down on the hearth with a book I had brought with me to divert my mind. I confess I did sometimes look round the chamber with something like apprehension. "'Oh, very like it, I dare say,' interrupted Annette. "'And I dare say, too, if the truth was known, you shook from head to foot.' "'Not quite so bad as that,' replied Ludovico, smiling." But several times, as the wind whistled round the castle and shook the old casements, I did fancy I heard odd noises, and, once or twice, I got up and looked about me. But nothing was to be seen except the grim figures in the tapestry, which seemed to frown upon me as I looked at them. "'I had sat thus for above an hour,' continued Louvico, when again I thought I heard a noise, and glanced my eyes round the room to discover what it came from, but, not perceiving anything, I began to read again, and when I had finished the story I was upon, I felt drowsy and dropped asleep. But presently I was awakened by the noise I had heard before, and it seemed to come from that part of the chamber where the bed stood. And then, whether it was the story I had been reading that affected my spirits, or the strange reports that had been spread of these apartments, I don't know, but when I looked towards the bed again, I fancied I saw a man's face within the dusky curtains. At the mention of this, Emily trembled and looked anxiously, remembering the spectacle she had herself witnessed there with Dorothee. I confess, madam, my heart did fail me at that instant, continued Ludovico. But a return of the noise drew my attention from the bed, and I then distinctly heard a sound like that of a key turning in a lock. But what surprised me more was that I saw no door where the sound seemed to come from. In the next moment, however, The arras near the bed was slowly lifted, and a person appeared behind it, entering from a small door in the wall. He stood for a moment, as if half retreating, with his head bending under the arras, which concealed the upper part of his face, except his eyes scowling beneath the tapestry as he held it. And then, while he raised it higher, I saw the face of another man behind, looking over his shoulder. I know not how it was, but, though my sword was upon the table before me, I had not the power just then to seize it, but sat quite still, watching them, with my eyes half shut, as if I was asleep. I suppose they thought me so, and were debating what they should do, for I heard them whisper, and they stood in the same posture for the value of a minute, and then I thought I perceived other faces in the duskiness beyond the door, and heard louder whispers. This door surprises me said Emily, because I understood that the Count had caused the aurat to be lifted and the walls examined, suspecting that they might have concealed a passage through which you had departed. It does not appear so extraordinary to me, madam, replied Ludovico, that this door should escape notice, because it was formed in a narrow compartment which appeared to be part of the outward wall, and, if the Count had not passed over it, he might have thought it was useless to search for a door where it seemed as if no passage could communicate with one, but the truth was that the passage was formed within the wall itself. But to return to the man whom I saw obscurely beyond the door, and who did not suffer me to remain long in suspense concerning their design, they all rushed into the room and surrounded me, though not before I had snatched up my sword to defend myself. But what could one man do against four? They soon disarmed me, and, having fastened my arms and gagged my mouth, forced me through the private door, leaving my sword upon the table, to assist, as they said, those who should come in the morning to look for me, in fighting against the ghosts. They then led me through many narrow passages, cut, as I fancied, in the walls, for I had never seen them before, and down several flights of steps, till we came to the vaults underneath the castle." And then, opening a stone door, which I should have taken for the wall itself, we went through a long passage and down other steps cut in the solid rock, when another door delivered us into a cave. After turning and twining about for some time, we reached the mouth of it, and I found myself on the sea-beach at the foot of the cliffs, with the chateau above. A boat was in waiting, into which the ruffians got, forcing me along with them, and we soon reached a small vessel that was at anchor where other men appeared. When setting me aboard, two of the fellows had seized me followed, and the other two rowed back to the shore while we set sail. I soon found out what all this meant, and what was the business of these men at the chateau. We landed in Océan, and, after lingering several days about the shore, some of their comrades came down from the mountains and carried me with them to the fort, where I remained till my lord so unexpectedly arrived, for they had taken good care to prevent my running away having blindfolded me during the journey, and, if they had not done this, I think I never could have found my road to any town through the wild country we traversed. After I reached the fort I was watched like a prisoner, and never suffered to go out, without two or three companions, and I became so wary of life that I often wished to get rid of it. "'Well, but they let you talk,' said Annette. "'They did not gag you after they got you away from the chateau.' so I don't see what reason there was to be so very wary of living, to say nothing about the chance you had of seeing me again. Ludovico smiled, and Emily also, who inquired what was the motive of these men for carrying him off. "'I soon found out, madam,' resumed Ludovico, that they were pirates who had, during many years, secreted their spoil in the vaults of the castle, which, being so near the sea, suited their purpose well.' To prevent detection, they had tried to have it believed that the chateau was haunted, and, having discovered the private way to the north apartments, which had been shut up ever since the death of the Lady Marchioness, they easily succeeded. The housekeeper and her husband, who were the only persons that had inhabited the castle for some years, were so terrified by the strange noises they heard in the nights, that they would live there no longer. A report soon went abroad that it was haunted, and the whole country believed this the more readily, I suppose, because it had been said that the Lady Marchioness had died in a strange way, and because my lord never would return to the place afterwards. But why, said Emily, were not these pirates contented with the cave? Why did they think it necessary to deposit their spoil in the castle? The cave, madam, replied Ludovico, was open to anybody, and their treasures would not long have remained undiscovered there but in the vaults they were secure so long as the report prevailed of their being haunted thus then it appears that they brought at midnight the spoil they took on the seas and kept it till they had opportunities of disposing of it to advantage the pirates were connected with spanish smugglers and banditti who live among the wilds of the pyrenees and carry on various kinds of traffic such as nobody would think of and with this desperate horde of banditti i remained till my lord arrived I shall never forget what I felt when I first discovered him. I almost gave him up for lost. But I knew that, if I showed myself, the banditti would discover who he was, and probably murder us all, to prevent their secret in the chateau being detected. I, therefore, kept out of my lord's sight, but had a strict watch upon the ruffians, and determined if they offered him or his family violence, to discover myself and fight for our lives.' Soon after I overheard some of them laying a most diabolical plan for the murder and plunder of the whole party, when I contrived to speak to some of my lord's attendants, telling them what was going forward, and we consulted what was best to be done. Meanwhile my lord, alarmed at the absence of the Lady Blanche, demanded her, and the ruffians having given some unsatisfactory answer, my lord and Monsieur St-Foy became furious, so then we thought it a good time to discover the plot and rushing into the chamber, I called out, "'Treachery, my lord Count! Defend yourself!' His lordship and the chevalier drew their swords directly, and a hard battle we had, but we conquered at last, as, madam, you are already informed of by my lord Count. "'This is an extraordinary adventure,' said Emily, "'and much praise is due, Ludovico, to your prudence and intrepidity.' There are some circumstances, however, concerning the North Apartments, which still perplex me. But, perhaps, you may be able to explain them. Did you ever hear the banditti relate anything extraordinary of these rooms? No, madam, replied Ludovico. I never heard them speak about the rooms, except to laugh at the credulity of the old housekeeper, who once was very near catching one of the pirates. It was since the Count arrived at the Chateau, he said, and he laughed heartily as he related the trick he had played off. A blush overspread Emily's cheek, and she impatiently desired Ludovico to explain himself. "'Why, my lady,' said he, as this fellow was one night in the bedroom, he heard somebody approaching through the next apartment, and not having time to lift up the Arras and unfasten the door, he hid himself in the bed just by. There he lay for some time in as great a fright, I suppose. "'As you was in,' interrupted Annette, when you sat up so boldly to watch by yourself.' Aye, said Ludovico, in as great a fright as he ever made anybody else suffer, and presently the housekeeper and some other person came up to the bed, when he, thinking they were going to examine it, bethought him that his only chance of escaping detection was by terrifying them. So he lifted up the counterpane, but that did not do, till he raised his face above it, and then they both set off, he said, as if they had seen the devil, and he got out of the rooms undiscovered. Emily could not forbear smiling at this explanation of the deception which had given her so much superstitious terror, and was surprised that she could have suffered herself to be thus alarmed, till she considered that, when the mind has once begun to yield to the weakness of superstition, trifles impress it with the force of conviction. Still, however, she remembered with awe the mysterious music which had been heard at midnight near Chateau-le-Blanc, and she asked Ludovico if he could give any explanation of it, but he could not. "'I only know, madame,' he added, "'that it did not belong to the pirates, for I have heard them laugh about it, and say they believed the devil was in league with them there.' "'Yes, I will answer for it, he was,' said Annette, her countenance brightening. "'I was sure all along that he or his spirits had something to do with the North Apartments, and now you see, madame, I am right at last.' "'It cannot be denied that his spirits were very busy in that part of the chateau,' replied Emily, smiling.' but i am surprised ludovico that these pirates should persevere in their schemes after the arrival of the count what could they expect but certain detection i have reason to believe madam replied ludovico that it was their intention to persevere no longer than was necessary for the removal of the stores which were deposited in the vaults and it appeared that they had been employed in doing so from within a short period after the count's arrival but as they had only a few hours and a night for this business and were carrying on other schemes at the same time, the vaults were not above half emptied when they took me away. They gloried exceedingly in this opportunity of confirming the superstitious reports that had been spread of the north chambers, were careful to leave everything there as they had found it, the better to promote the deception, and frequently, in their joker's moods, would laugh at the consternation which they believed the inhabitants of the castle had suffered upon my disappearing and it was to prevent the possibility of my betraying their secret, that they had removed me to such a distance. From that period they considered the chateau as nearly their own. But I found from the discourse of their comrades that, though they were cautious, at first, in showing their power there, they had once very nearly betrayed themselves. Going one night, as was their custom, to the north chambers to repeat the noises that had occasioned such alarm among the servants, they heard, as they were about to unfasten the secret door, voices in the bedroom. My lord has since told me that himself and M. Henri were then in the apartment, and they heard very extraordinary sounds of lamentation, which it seems were made by these fellows, with their usual design of spreading terror. And my lord has owned he then felt somewhat more than surprise. But, as it was necessary to the peace of his family that no notice should be taken, he was silent on the subject." and enjoined silence to his son. Emily, recollecting the change that had appeared in the spirits of the Count after the night when he had watched in the north room, now perceived the cause of it, and, having made some further inquiries upon this strange affair, she dismissed Ludovico, and went to give orders for the accommodation of her friends on the following day. In the evening, Teresa, lame as she was, came to deliver the ring with which Valancourt had entrusted her, and, when she presented it, Emily was much affected, for she remembered to have seen him wear it often in happier days. She was, however, much displeased that Teresa had received it, and positively refused to accept it herself, though to have done so would have afforded her a melancholy pleasure. Teresa entreated, expostulated, and then described the distress of Valancourt when he had given the ring, and repeated the message with which he had commissioned her to deliver it. And Emily could not conceal the extreme sorrow this recital occasioned her, but wept, and remained lost in thought. "'Alas, my dear young lady,' said Theresa, "'why should all this be? I have known you from your infancy, and it may well be supposed I love you as if you was my own, and to wish as much to see you happy. Monsieur Valancourt, to be sure, I have not known so long, but then I have reason to love him as though he was my own son.' "'I know how well you love one another, or why all this weeping and wailing?' Emily waved her hand for Theresa to be silent, who, disregarding the signal, continued, "'And how much you are alike in your tempers and ways, and that, if you were married, you would be the happiest couple in the whole province. Then what is there to prevent your marrying? Dear, dear, to see how some people fling away their happiness, and then cry and lament about it, just as if it was not their own doing.' and as if there was more pleasure in wailing and weeping than in being at peace. Learning, to be sure, is a fine thing, but if it teaches folks no better than that, why, I'd rather be without it. If it would teach them to be happier, I would say something to it. Then it would be learning and wisdom, too. Age and long services had given Teresa a privilege to talk, but Emily now endeavoured to check her loquacity and though she felt the justness of some of her remarks did not choose to explain the circumstances that had determined her conduct towards Valancourt. she therefore only told teresa that it would much displease her to hear the subject renewed that she had reasons for her conduct which she did not think it proper to mention and that the ring must be returned with an assurance that she could not accept it with propriety and at the same time she forbade teresa to repeat any future message from Valancourt as she valued her esteem and kindness. Theresa was afflicted, and made another attempt, though feeble, to interest her for Valancourt. but the unusual displeasure expressed in Emily's countenance soon obliged her to desist, and she departed in wonder and lamentation. To relieve her mind, in some degree, from the painful recollections that intruded upon it, Emily busied herself in preparations for the journey into Languedoc, and, while Annette who assisted her spoke with joy and affection of the safe return of ludovico she was considering how she might best promote their happiness and determined if it appeared that his affection was as unchanged as that of the simple and honest annette to give her a marriage portion and settle them on some part of her estate three considerations led her to the remembrance of her father's paternal domain which his affairs had formerly compelled him to dispose of to Monsieur canel and which he frequently wished to regain because St. Aubert had lamented that the chief lands of his ancestors had passed into another family, and because they had been his birthplace and the haunt of his early years. To the estate at Toulouse she had no peculiar attachment, and it was her wish to dispose of this, that she might purchase her paternal domains if M. Connell could be prevailed on to part with them, which, as he talked much of living in Italy, did not appear very improbable. End of Volume 4 Chapter fourteen